content is made to inform, educate, and of course, sell. That's the power of product-led content that seamlessly mentions your product's benefits while providing educational insights to your readers. Today, Massimo Memon, a freelance writer for companies like Shopify, Vimeo, and Hotjar, shares the ins and outs of product-led content. In episode 58 of Marketing Power Up Show, you learn, first of all, what is product-led content really? Second, how to balance promoting your product and providing value. Third, real-life examples of SaaS brands executing product-led content strategies effectively. And number four, a power-up that has accelerated Masuma's career. Before we get started, I've created a free power-up sheet that you can download and apply more product-led content to your business. Get it now at marketingpowerups.com or find that link in the show notes and description. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing Power-Ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Well, thank you for joining us, Massimo. I'm super excited to be talking about product-led content. It's something that you have talked about quite a bit, something that you've written. um, I'm guessing you created for some of your clients like Vimeo and Hotjar and other companies. I am curious, first of all, I've heard it a few times. It might be related to product-led SEO, but I'm curious what is... What is product-led content? What is uh, that specifically? If I had to guess, it would be content that talks something about the product. <laughs> is, that a, is that a good good guess? Or like, is there a little bit yes. more nuance to what that is rather than... It's this? almost there. It's just almost there. So it's content that features your product. It talks about your product. Uh, product. So it could be a small slip-in, could be a mention, or it could be, you know, product how-to. So for example, how to create to-do list with our tool or how to, for example, if you're using, we are using Riverside to record this, so how to record a podcast with Riverside. So anything throughout the funnel, it could be... a you know, anything throughout the funnel that you're talking about your product. But the key here is being educational instead of salesy. So by taking an educational approach as a byproduct of ed- of the educational approach, uh, you get conversions. I, f- I feel like that that's the key part. It's actually something that we've been talking a lot about in AppKeys where there's this tension where um, somebody from our team says, hey, we should add some some mentions to our to our product here, how we can create a checklist with AppQs if we talk about checklists. And another person in the team is like, oh, I don't want to talk about the product at all <laughs> in, the, in the blog post because it's like about education. And it really is about that that balance and making sure that it's, it is it is contextual as well. It's not being too salesy, would, would you say, is what makes it work well. So yeah, that's why I said educational, uh, so that you don't end up accidentally being intentionally or unintentionally being salesy. So what works is you keep the focus on the reader. And to do that, you need to, um, number one, empower the reader. And number two is lead with empathy. So when you do, when you empower the reader, you, most of us say we need to make the content actionable, but I like to think of it as empowering the readers. By the end of the post, whatever questions you are answering, the reader should feel like they have answers to it, in-depth, proper answer that they can solve that problem themselves. So you're empowering them to solve your own problem. So while you're empowering them to solve their problem, you can easily mention your product in between because you're basically solving their problem, right? Mm -hmm. And then after you've done a piece of content or while you're planning your piece of content, in both the cases, you need to be empathetic. So after you're done 
writing the post, for example, let's say review your product CTAs, would would this be a step? Say you've added a step step to sign up for your product, right? But read it as like whatever, depending on whatever funnel stage you are, if this goal is going out to someone who is not, you know, is in the early stages, it's still learning about their problems, still learning about your product. And you feel like this as you put yourself in your reader's shoes and you feel like this is not a step that you would take yourself, then remove that CT. Mm. A better thing you could do is lead them to an advanced guide. Uh, the thing with most top funnel content is to capture people in your content funnel. Like with, I like to call it the content playground. Like you have lots of content, you capture them in your library and you turn them into, you know, they, they, they start trusting you as a source of, you know, that can answer the questions well. And when you do that, you're in a position to educate about your product and as a result, set it. That's such a visual word that I'm attached to, the content playground, the product-led content playground, where you have, when you're in a playground, you have many options on what to play with next. And and really, like, it's about deciding and, and helping them guide to the ones that make more sense to... Is, is that what you mean by the playground? I'm curious, like, what... what yes. What? So it's like you're leading people from one content piece to another content piece. So most people would include a CTA to sign up for your product, especially for early stage readers. And I feel like that is completely unnecessary. Mm. And then you're not empathizing with your reader and you're taking a more salesy approach, pushy approach to getting them to sign up. But if you were to lead them to another, like, for example, like you said, there are lots of places to play in a playground. So, for example, you lead them to another content piece, which is why I'm a fan of CTAs that lead to advanced guides or related guides, as well as internal uh, links within the content. So you have to keep them on the page. You move them from one piece to another piece enough that they remember your name so that whenever they're Googling a similar problem, they remember your name and click on your search result. Even if it is not ranking on the top, they'll be like, oh, I remember them. Their content was good and it gave me good enough value. So I'm going to read them again. So you're capturing them in a way. Mm, that makes sense. I love that. That's probably going to be the title of this episode. Product-led content playground. Okay. <laughs> I love it. You're talking, we're, we've been talking about like examples of product-led content and how it might fit into like top of the funnel, but I want to take a step back and talk about the benefits of it and why it should be such an important part of content strategy. I know you, you talked quite a bit about this in a, a webinar you did, but like, I'm curious what that is for my listeners who are like, great, I'm, I'm doing this. Like, why should I do it even? Like, what, what's the benefits to, to, the, to the company for creating product-led content? So there are like a handful of uh, benefits. The most common ones, the most obvious ones are uh, one is product education and awareness. So I like to say that closed mouths don't get fed. So if mm. unless and until you don't talk about your product, you don't educate what you do, you won't be able to sell. So you have to talk about it at one point or another, right? And if you're creating like really helpful content that's empowering your readers, you've earned the full right to actually talk about the product. That's one of the benefits. And then the second obvious one, which is everybody's aim is to drive conversions. So free um, users to your product or demos, et cetera. There are two. Uh, so one is product awareness and then uh, customer acquisition. But there is also another benefit to it, which is customer retention and reducing uh, activation time. So for example, let's say I've been reading about a tool on their blog because content nowadays is part of any user's journey at 
they will interact with your content, be it in the, at some point in the journey where they're learning about your product and want to buy about your product. They're probably going to uh, re either read an email, uh, you know, re re read your emails or your blog content or anything like that, right? Or to watch your webinar, to listen to your podcast or something along those lines. So the thing is, when they do that and you're educating them about your product, right? You're telling them how to use it. A very simple, I'll give you an example, which can help you understand this is when I started, uh, you know, my freelance business, I was wondering how to manage all the projects in my pipeline. And so I would Google how to organize my projects and I came across Trello and they gave me all these screenshots on how to set up my Kanban board. And so when I signed up for their product, the activation time was relatively low because I had seen all those screenshots and I was able to quickly reference them to create my first Kanban board. So the aha moment, the point where I am, I'm sure you, because you talk about product-led onboarding, I'm sure you'd agree with me on this, but it contributes to reducing activation time. Mm. And because your target reader is not just new, new people who could use your product, but also someone who's already using your product. So using product-led content, you can unlock product use cases as well. So you're getting people to use more of your content. So there are four major benefits of this. Product awareness, customer acquisition, customer retention, and then reducing churn as well as unlocking more product use cases. So increasing the retention time. I like how you're calling that piece out particularly. I think I, I'm a big fan of that where like, how can you show the value of the product even before they sign up? Because then they're primed and ready to go. I, I, I mentioned that in my uh, book quite a bit like hey how do you do that and product-led content is such a great way to do that in context of reading and educating about something like what you just mentioned about Trello or um, you know other examples that I, I can think of is like uh, recently I was looking at some kind of um, you know financials I have a 16 month old kid and I'm looking at like how do I save up for his his uh, his education 20 years from now <laughs> you know when he goes to college I looked at a blog post like here's some vehicles and and by the way you can sign up for it now and, and this is with Wealth Simple, uh, which is this this tool uh, this um, um pro platform that you can do it. and I was like oh cool let me sign up I already actually already have an account with you guys so I did that and I feel like that's you know before I even signed up I was like I already know what I need to do and what I what I'm gonna get so I think that's a good call that you're calling this out it's not just an impact in the top of the funnel, it actually could help activate and reduce churn, like you mentioned. Which, yeah. is there anything you wanted to add? No, no, I was just saying it's hard, sometimes hard to measure things like how your content is contributing to reducing churn and activation time. Uh, but like if you're constantly in touch with your paying customers and you're talking to them, they might be able to tell you they are still referencing your content to unlock more product use cases, which is one way to find out how effective your product-led content is in reducing churn and increasing retention. I think the other thing that just hit me is like, often we write the blog posts or content or create the content and we don't realize our customers are also consuming that content. And when we like offer them more advanced, not necessarily use cases or guides or advanced uh, you know, features of the product, uh, you can actually deepen their relationship with the product there. And I feel like that's that could potentially be the the outlook, like the, 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 you know, the, the next effect, the second order effect of, of content like this is 
you're actually not just educating your market, you're actually also educating your customer about new ways to do things to solve their problems, essentially. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's why I say it's just not your, you're not unlocking more product users, but also more product uses for your paying customers. Mm, that's catchy. That's, that's, I was going to say tweetable, but I'm not sure what's happening with it's an Xable, but it's link, link, like it's a, it's a hook for a LinkedIn post. You know, you're not just creating more product users, you're creating more product use uses of it. That's pretty good. Which kind of digs into how, you know, we've been talking a lot of, you know, we've talked about examples for the top of the funnel, but how do you map out those product-led contents for, you know, middle or bottom of the funnel? I, 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 if I saw it correctly, you had a few like, you know, ideas for that or use cases for it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the thing is, before you start creating content for the deeper funnel stages, you need to document all the features that you have which ICB they are for, and not just what are the benefits of using them, but also what outcomes to help your ICB achieve. So whatever jobs to be done your ICB has, they need to uh, be able, you know, you need to document that to be able to write resonant middle and bottom button of the content. There's one. So start off with creating a feature cheat sheet where you lay out all the features and then its benefits, why anybody should be using it versus the traditional way of doing things. Right. And then what are uh, what are the outcomes or the jobs to be done that this particular feature can help a user achieve this? Then you can throughout whether you're working on product led content yourself or with a team of the internal writers or with external writers throughout. You can reference this feature cheat sheet to not just create more content, plan more content and decide which feature goes into which blog post in your creative briefs, but also make it easy for writers to write product-led content. Makes super easy to even uh, outsource um, deeper funnel content, which most companies are hesitant when working with freelancers. That's one of the things that I highly recommend when I start out with clients, is that you talk to your customer-facing teams, learn about the ICPs that you're targeting, the jobs to be done, and then how the feature maps to the pain point, right? And then whenever you're creating um, deeper funnel content, I recommend that you keep it transparent. Right. So don't just talk about who you are for, but also who you are not for. So you're, you're driving this might a lot of stakeholders might not agree with me on this. Like we want to cast the net as wide as we can. But honestly, you're saving yourself tons of time. Your sales reps are tons of time in the long run if you are being honest about who you are for. And then you're also building trust with those users. So, uh, for example, let's say you omit the point that you don't have a mobile app, but I'm looking for a solution that also offers a mobile app. Right. But your content did not mention that. And I ended up signing up for you. Or in, even if I don't end up signing up for you directly and I go into user reviews, uh, you know, on third party uh, platforms like G2 and I find out that uh, you don't offer a mobile solution, you're breaking my trust. And it's OK. It's just one user. You could think of it like that. But the problem is that one user, that one potentially interested customer will talk about it with other people. So you don't want that because word of mouth is fast. And Suppose that person itself, like, like, say, for example, I signed up for your app and it did not have a mobile app. And then I have to churn. So you're seeing more churn and then 110% negative word of mouth because I will go in and tell the reader, tell my colleagues or my network, people in my network, and I'll tell them they don't have a mobile app. And, you know, they could have mentioned it. They could have saved both themselves and me the trouble. So that's another thing I recommend being transparent. And the third thing that I recommend, which a lot of companies, um, 
make a mistake of not doing is that they don't include social proof. So you're not including customer stories or case studies. So instead of saying we are the best, just let the data and your customers do the talking. I'm a big fan of social proof. I, I love how you're you're really like talking about, hey, be transparent, what your product can do. And as well as like adding, pulling in social proof, it's like those social proofs and those quotes or those testimonials from customers are a great way to like really tell people, hey, this is the kind of customers that, that fits into our ICP and as well as like, is their words, it's not ours. <laughs> they're saying, they're yes, saying that exactly. it's, it's, uh, our product is good. It's totally different when yeah. like, I'm so good versus like somebody else saying, hey, um, that product is good itself. I know. It's, it's a social proof is super powerful. And I, I know that until now, people just rely on it to buy. So there are like tons of ways you can gain your trust using social proof, right? And even if you have, a lot of people have an entire cataloged area where they have their case studies, but they don't take those stories and mention it within their deeper funnel content when you could be. Because instead of saying we can help drive, uh, save X hours, just say X person or say X company used our product and as a result, save X hours. So you, again, you're not doing the talking, you're telling a story, you're telling your other customer's story and people are going to believe it more. There's one. And then you can also use data, for example, uh, user gems, they paired up their content team paired up with the data analyst team and they created, they looked into two. So what basically user gems does is it, tra it tracks your alumni customers, so champion users who were users in the past. And when, when they switch their job, sales rep can reach out to them to say that, hey, do you want to use a product again? And, you know, in a way it gets you warm leads. So. What it does, the same thing that user gems does, LinkedIn Sales Navigator can also do it. Now, but they're not saying don't use Sales Navigator or they're not saying we are better than Sales Navigator, but they have solid data showing that the, for showing data that, you know, you will get X amount of leads from LinkedIn, but Y amount of leads from user gems, which are a ton higher and a lot better in terms of quality. So they're making their case not only using social proof for how customers are using, but also using data. Yeah, no. That's so good. And I, I I mean, I have to take a step back as well. And I thank you for sharing that process. You talked about how you map out your features. I think you have a cheat sheet I saw somewhere that I'm I'm gonna recreate or, or link to for folks to download at marketingpops.com. But there was one other thing that I wanna like double click on that you mentioned. You talked about common mistakes that uh, companies make when it comes to product-led content. You gave a few examples. Uh, in those response, but like, what are some common, mis like, what are you mentioned around like, Hey, like not, um, not adding social proof enough, but like, what are, what are some other common mistakes that, that companies make when they come, when it comes to product led content? Okay. So one, another ma major one is feature bloat. So what mm. they do is they talk about like not one, like not one feature, but a ton of features, a handful of features go into the base. But whenever you're creating product like content, you have to remember that you know the product well, but the reader does not know that product as well as you do. So you cannot confuse them. If you talk about a ton of features or ton of, uh, because there are lots of uh, SaaS products that have tons of, they have an umbrella group and then they have tons of platforms or solutions that people can use. And they talk about X, Y, Z, A, B, C, everything on top on each other in one post. But what it does, it leaves your reader confused. Again, if you step back and put yourself 
within your reader's shoes, you'll see that for someone who doesn't know the product, that this can be confusing. They might just end up like, what exactly does this product do? Or they might just think that, okay, I get that they do a lot. They solve a lot of my problems, but they're just too diverse for me. So take it step by step. Instead of talking a ton of features, limit it to one to two features. Specifically, if you are in uh, deeper funnel content, limit it to one to two, one to three features. If you are in uh, talking about your product in uh, the top funnel, strictly limited to one piece, mm. one feature. So uh, that's one feature blow. That's one problem that I see companies make. And a lot of marketers have also admitted and shared that, yeah, they're guilty of um, feature bloat. And I am guilty of it myself when I started, when I started creating product-led content for clients. So there's that. And then um, thinking that you can create this type of a product in a silo. Which you cannot. You need to be talking to sales. Uh, you need to be talking to customer support. Because without it, without talking to them, you will have zero grip on who the feature is for, which ICP it is for. Let me give you another example. Let's say um, you're selling a CRM. A CRM can help both the sales rep as well as a sales manager. But both these ICPs have completely different jobs to be done. So for sales managers, is it, it's provide, is increasing their team's productivity by providing them the tools they need to do their job better. And for sales rep, it's hitting the sales quota. Now, if you were talking, creating product-led content for both of these, you're confusing the target reader as to who this piece is for and who do you want to convert, right? So you need to be talking to your sales team to learn uh, exactly which um, ICP you're for, what, how the feature maps to the pain point. And what jobs to be done, it helps achieve as one. And you also need to be talking to your sales team to learn which tools people are switching from right. to yours. So that will help you create those X or versus Y competitor tools, right? You get the keywords from there. So uh, that's one, one another thing that you can learn from talking to your sales team. And then you could also learn what hesitations people have when they're considering to buy a product like when your sales reps are talking to those people and you can answer those hesitations within your content, which is why I say that you cannot create. So there's, you know, lots of things that we are doing. We're talking to the customer facing teams, so you cannot create that content in a silo. And then the third thing I would say is you do not give enough peeps into the product. So there are not enough screenshots, product screenshots. You need to build that excitement. You need to show the product is easy to use. You need to show that it's not a cluttered UI inside. And all of that is extremely possible with uh, why you include explainer videos and product screenshots within the content, explaining things step by step. But even if you're doing that, say, let's say you have those screenshots, anything that you're not making this mistake, double check that those screenshots are readable because that's mm. one of the biggest problems I see, that those screenshots are not readable. So people cannot get a good idea or good right. peep at, into your product. That's so good. I think that's so true. Sometimes I have to squint and it's like when you click on it, you're hoping that it gets bigger, but it doesn't. So I'm like, just please zoom in and do like what I need to do, what I want yeah. to focus on. Right. It's another step in the process. It kind of adds friction to the content experience. Interesting. That's a good... So first time I've heard that friction and I, whenever usually I hear friction is from the product perspective, but yeah. you're right. Like you want to make the content as easy to consume as possible. And that, that is friction. It, it is essentially content friction, which is a term I've never heard of. Is that, um, yeah. 
you you mentioned that before or like that term content friction no, somewhere else or you read it somewhere I have because I you know I am big on content experience so mm. for example all screenshots are similarly sized mm. it makes a very small difference it's important yeah but it 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 makes a huge it's a small thing that you can do but it makes a huge difference for your reader because it's all aligned it's consistent all those screenshots are designed according to your branding so that adds to the experience and then there are internal links that when you click they don't change the page that you were on but they open in a new tab mm. that's another way to improve your content experience so i like to you know make content accessible and remove friction as much as possible so that you know people even if people are skim reading they enjoying and at least leaving with one take that's good <laughs> that's so good content experience content friction this is good this is like melding this is exactly the, the intersection of product and content which is what product like content is all about hearing well Masimo, i actually want to thank you for talking about product like content i want to shift gears now and talk about careers and career power-ups yeah. you've been in marketing for many years now you've written for big companies like shopify hotjar and vimeo i'm curious what's something that's helped you accelerate your career forward, uh, whether that's something that's a softer skill, like making friends and building community or something that's more marketing focused. What is that career power for you? So I think that's, um, that will be talking about and writing your point of view. So don't be afraid to share whatever your point of view is, write it down, share it online, for example, on LinkedIn and, or have a newsletter. And that will help you refine your point of view. It would help you get more clarity of thought. It will help you see holes in your philosophy or whatever is it that you stand for. So talk more about it. And I personally have talked to, been talking, like been visible on social media. First it was Twitter and now it's LinkedIn. And I also have a newsletter. So the, all of that, it helps me refine my POVs, what I stand for. And you know how it's because in an AI world, you have to have a POV. To stand out. So writing regularly, consistently, not being afraid of sharing your points, uh, this angles that you want to take is one way to stand out. I'm curious what helped you. I know for some people that have talked to you, and I was just part of a course by Caitlin Burgoyne and uh, Neil O'Grady about this, about posting up more. One of the questions I see often is like, how do you get over that fear? of posting because like you're going to post it up and then people will, I don't know, people think that it, they'll, they'll get judged right away. <laughs> but is there, what, what has helped you particularly continue to post consistently? Is it just doing it and then at some point it becomes easier or is there other tricks that you have, you found help yourself? So it doing it and it becomes easier. That's definitely that. But when you're starting out, it's definitely difficult to get over that get started hump. So I would say have a close group of marketing friends or mm -hmm. even just your friends, have them read it. And then they'll give you the encouragement, the motivation you need to start writing online. And then, you know, what's the it, other thing I'd like to do is what's the worst that can happen? Mm -hmm. Like someone's not going to agree with you. That's okay. Yeah. You can politely say you don't agree or you, if you're afraid, you still feel that you cannot voice your opinions as well, or you cannot articulate your thoughts as well. Uh, just don't engage with them. It's okay if you don't. In the start, it's okay if you don't. And yeah. You know, in any situation, it's what's the worst that can happen. 
that's true. You can also block them. <laughs> Blocked. No, I'm just joking. Or delete that comment. I have had that. I've had those comments where like this is totally off base. Delete. You know, I don't need to have that in my life or in the feed. So that's. But big... that's you know that's it's it's okay to learn. It's okay to learn from other POVs. But worst is uh, it's okay to delete as well. But worst is when people just spam me a post with their own uh, link that are oh, totally irrelevant to the topic. That's true. Right. Please do not do that. And now I'm yeah. seeing this happen on Substack and I'm like, no, no. Oh, really? uh, that is, this was one, it, it happened with me today. So I was like, block, cool. delete blocks. <laughs> I know. I hope it doesn't get big that big uh, too soon here. I like I like your point about like making friends. I think that's true. Also, when you post that up, you can, you know, get that initial boost of asking them to to like, just like it and leave a comment. I think especially if they've, they've, given you feedback around it that's a great way to you know get yeah get that initial engagement while while um you're building up your own voice around this as well yeah absolutely i also want to know your writing like you're you've been so consistent with linkedin uh is your do you how, i'm what is your process do you dedicate a whole day to just write a bunch of content or do you like carve out, carve out like 15, 20 minutes each day to, to create it? Or maybe it depends on how your day is going. Like, tell me about like how you write for social, for LinkedIn, particularly compared to, I guess, other things that you write for, or is it the same? Oh, no, it's different. So I have an entire calendar planned around it and then I'm throwing in ideas as they come. So this. Mm biggest thing that can slow you down when you're creating LinkedIn content in my experience and what has affected me is not having the idea and sitting to write that you're sitting to think when you're sitting to write but then you're stopping at what idea should I be covering so um, I, got, I get lots of ideas when I am working on client work so for example I'm currently helping teams create repurposed content engines so when I was doing it, an idea occurred to me that I could, you know, create a LinkedIn post on how I am helping the specific client. It could be a case study of sorts. So I just took out my, I have, I use bullet journals for managing my uh, to-do list. So there's one section over there where I have LinkedIn ideas and I put on, you know, everything, the hook that ever was coming in my mind and stuff. And then it's either depending on my workload for the month, it's either two to three days within the month where I write all the content or it's every uh, one hour in the afternoon every day when I write the post. Mm. That's super cool. So you have a, a bank of ideas and then you write a few of them all at the same time when you have when you carve out those days is what I heard exactly. So a bank of ideas, also a notion calendar that organizes where each uh, idea on which day of the week it should be coming. So that it doesn't come across as me, me all the time. And it's also educational. So okay. there is that. And then in terms of like, like, do you create carousels or other things like that? Like, do you, I guess, find days to create those as well? Or like, do you outsource that to somebody else? Or do you do, do you oh, even do For now. For now, I'm doing them myself. But I am currently uh, in the process of hiring a video editor. So carousels I do myself, I have a template in place. And I think I can do them best because it's good. they're going to be able to capture my voice better. But I am repurposing all the webinars and podcasts that I do. And so for them, I'm using Weed to create audio bites, sound bites for myself. But I want to be able to use repurpose that content in more ways for which I'm If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers 
go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use to hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening and please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel extra generous, kindly leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a comment on YouTube. Goes a long way in others finding out about Marketing Power Ups. Thanks to Mary Saladin for creating the artwork and design. And thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing Power Ups. Until the next episode.